I'm fascinated by the political history of this city. And I'm fascinated because I believe this city's political history is more important than people realize, even here in San Francisco. And there have been a handful of good books written about the political history of San Francisco, but I wanted to do something different. That was Lincoln Mitchell. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll get to know writers, small business owners, bartenders, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, as they tell stories, share personal histories, and try to put into words what makes this city so special. This is part two of Lincoln's podcast. In this episode, he continues his discussion on San Francisco in the 1970s, which forms the background of his book, San Francisco Year Zero. A quick reminder, we want you to celebrate Valentine's Day happy hour with us at the closing party for Love Letters to the City. There's going to be music, art, beer and wine, and plenty of your fellow San Franciscans on hand. The party is tomorrow from 6 to 8 p.m. at 63 Bluxom Street Gallery. Please spread the word, and we'll see you then. Here's Lincoln. Imagine if... I'm not going to imagine, it's simple. I didn't know anything about sports when I was four, five, six. I didn't have a... My mother was like, she wasn't against it, but she wasn't really that into it. She's not... I mean, she's fit. You know what I mean? She's one of these people who is, like, is always fit and active, but not never played really interested in team sports. Okay. You know what I mean? But grew up in a time, if you go back to that, in the 50s, baseball... New York City was the center of the baseball oh, world yeah. in New yeah. York. So you could not know that. I mean, I'll tell you, in, in, I want to get... I'm getting the date wrong, but ballpark figure here... Probably in Good pun also. Probably in 2004, uh, she was visiting us in New York for the holidays, right? Because, and and it was Christmas Day. Sorry, does she still live out here? She lives five blocks from her. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's why. That's why. Like, I come here all the time because I see her. I stay here for free. I borrow her car. I keep my bicycle at her place. Perfect. So, so she's still here. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So but she so came out to, to New York. To New York to visit me, my wife, my kids, and, and our uh, her sister and everything. So on Christmas Day, you know, we're Jews, so we don't have it's too early for the Chinese food. So my aunt and uncle and my mom decide to go on a shopping trip to the Lower East Side to buy, you know, this is like a real cultural stereotype, right? To buy things on sale on Christmas Day. And, and you know, they say to us, do you want to come along? And we said, sure. I, I, you know, it might have been earlier because let's say it was, I don't remember the kids being in the car. So let's say it was 98. So this is still a, you know, a while ago. And my uncle's driving, and, you know, he's a New Yorker. Well, he actually was born in Paris, but he's basically a New Yorker for 60 years. He doesn't really drive that much in the city. He gets lost, makes a wrong turn around the Brooklyn Bridge. And, 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 and we're driving along, and, and, and my aunt and my says, oh, shit, I think we're going to Brooklyn. And, and my mom says, oh, I guess we're going to Brooklyn then. And I said, she said, it's been a long time. And I said, so, Mom, when was the last time you were in Brooklyn? And she says, she thinks about it for a while and says, I guess it was to see a Dodgers game. So let's go back to 57, right? But it, she, so she kind of had a positive feeling towards baseball. Yeah. So it was the first sport that I understood, that I knew everything. And, and, so, and then when I learned about football, it, I remember being totally baffled that you only played once a week. <laughs> right? And, and, and of course, there are reasons for that. And there's a that. clock. And there's a clock. It's it just bad. didn't make sense. So, yeah. so, so, so I kind of, you know, there's eight games a year. It's on a Sunday. It wasn't, it wasn't for, maybe for those reasons, it wasn't the great thing about, one of the few great things about Candlestick Park was that if you had time on your hands, it was very accessible. Because there was a special ballpark express that ran oh, yeah. from, you know, we would catch it at Clay and Van Ness, or my mom would drop us off, or somebody would take the 45, which had a different route then. Mm-hmm. 
And, and we'd uh, get off there and you'd go to the game and come back on the Ballpark Express. And if you had time, it was fun. But and you didn't need parents. And for, I would say beginning in 77, we would go alone. Me, my brother, and various friends would go alone without parents. It was very rare to go with a parent. Was it called the Candlestick Express it was, back then? It was called the Ballpark Express. Ballpark Express. When yeah. I moved here in the early 2000s, it was called the Candlestick Express. No, it was the Ballpark Express. And okay. it was just, it was, you know, you can imagine who rides the bus. People who don't have money, seniors, kids. It was kind of a scene. And some of these people were just, I mean, they speak to the seniors, were just intense fans. I didn't go to Niners game until this century. When a friend of mine got a bunch of tickets in a luxury box there, so I went. went. It was yeah. Christmas Eve, and it was, it was fun. But... Yeah. So the Niners were the team. The Warriors were similarly the team, for sure, but less accessible. Yeah. I actually went to a couple of USF basketball games when Bill Cartwright was playing here. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and they were good for a while. Yeah. So that was... But I suppose in retrospect, the Niners probably were the premier franchise at the time. But for me, there was no doubt it was the Giants. I mean, yeah. That was, it didn't matter. Yeah. The, the winning didn't matter. And, right, no. And then, and then one of the odder or kind of more quirky experiences as a, as a baseball fan here at that period... You know, when the A's got bad, they, they, free agency devastated that team. They traded blue. And the only time I would go over there to Oakland, the Coliseum, was see the Yankees play. Hmm. And that was a scene. Mm-hmm. It felt like being in New York for the afternoon. Mm-hmm. It was so, it was, you know, because they had a lot of New Yorkers. A lot of, and, and, you know, you would hear New York accents. Even the Spanish sounded a little different because it was Puerto Rican Spanish, yep. not Mexican Spanish. You'd hear Yiddish. You'd see people who looked like me. I mean, it was, it was really kind of a, an interesting uh, It's still scene. that way to an extent. Yeah. Today when the Yankees come to town. Yeah, except sure. it was... Yeah, maybe it was... But, and, and I went to games, Yankee-A's games, through the late 80s until I moved to New York, and now I just go to Yankee Stadium. Okay. So, so where, did, where did you go to high school? So I went to high school, university high school. Okay. And, you know, in retrospect, probably should have gone to Lowell. Okay. But <laughs> went to university, and that was academically a fantastic school and socially and kind of culturally the absolute wrong fit for me. Okay. And I made it through... Uh, I'm not sure how. <laughs> I made it through, and I got to college because I had good, uh, good test scores. You know? Okay, it always helps. Yeah, but that was, you know, high school's always formative years, mm-hmm. and and high school in San Francisco in the early '80s was an unusual time and place. Let's hear more. And and that was, I mean, so, so I'll give you one example just to put this in perspective. We're sitting in the Blue Danube. Okay. I first came here in, I want to say, 84. Mm-hmm. And the reason I came here is that we were reading on the road in English class. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing cafes and, you know, this kind of this part of the culture. And we remember my friends talking, we should go hang out in a cafe. Well, of course, we didn't know any cafes. So we went, someone got a phone book. And we looked up, and the only cafes that were, like, not too far from where we lived were the Chattanooga Cafe on Haight Street and this place. And on, like, successive days, we went to that place and then this place. And this kind of became our hangout. And I still come here all the time. But... So it was 36 years. How, how long has this place been open? I think At least 80, 36 years. Yeah, I think 83 maybe. It was Jeez, just open. But, wow. but there weren't a lot of cafes. Right. And it was, it was you know, the, you had had the economic recession that really began in the 50 or so, and there's the slow decline of the city's economy. Then you had the kind of still large parts of the political class just being in a fog because of Jonestown and, and, and the assassinations. Then you had the kind of Reagan recession. And then, of course, you had AIDS. So this was, this was not a city brimming with confidence. Right. And, and, and that kind of, you know, was no, if someone had said to you, this would be the economic most important, that was unimaginable back right. then. And, and you had, but it was still this kind of vibrant counterculture scene. 
So you could go to Golden Gate Park, and you know, Hate Street still kind of felt like Hate Street in, in, in the kind of hippie era. And there were, you know, I mean, I remember weekends where you could go, you know, you could see Jerry Garcia in the park, go to Plunk Show at the Mab, and Giants game on, on Sunday for Will, old, old Timers Day and see Willie Mays, right? So it was, you know, so, so and and I was, you know, I, I was not, I mean, at the end of the day, I was a middle class Jewish intellectual, right? And, and an obsessive baseball fan. So, and that didn't change in high school. I was going to say, still today. <laughs> yeah, still today. I'm all those things today. So, so that didn't change in high school. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who did a lot of shows, and I would say, did you ever think it was weird? And I would just disappear for a weekend because the Giants were in town. And he said, yeah, we just kind of knew that was who you were. So I was never like, I would be dishonest. I was at the Mab every night going to shows. That wasn't who I was. But I went enough. Yeah. And I went to a lot of the free shows and the political stuff and the old hippie stuff. So it was a very... What San Francisco offered at that time was the cultural breadth of a city like New York, but everything was a short muni right away. So it was much, much more accessible than it would have been in a bigger city. Interesting. And, you know, and, and, and still not everyone did it. I mean, it's still, it, you know, if you weren't familiar, didn't know people, it was frightening, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but Like intimidating, frightening? or I mean, there was the kind of, wow, these people look weird, right? Which didn't, uh, but that, that wasn't such a big issue for me. But there were moments when he felt like, okay, this is getting violent and I'm not really ready for this. Like, I don't want to deal with this. Mm-hmm. This isn't who I am, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there was a lot of drugs around. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the time the drugs were, you know, just people smoking pot and drinking beer. And that wasn't, you know, I was never a big drinker in high school. But, you know, every now and then it would get more serious than that. And that would be a cause for concern sometimes yeah. in terms of violence and stuff. But, you know, it was for the most part if you took advantage of an extraordinary opportunity, you know, for that time, you know, you were, there, there were no, you know, you weren't going to spend that time watching Netflix, you know what I mean? So, so you had to, for what that time had to offer, this was a great place to be doing it and it exposed me and a lot of people I know to, to both a counterculture that was fascinating and formative, but also to really, I mean, I think in high school, particularly here, you know, and a place like university where this was preparing people to go to, you know, Ivy League schools, top business law and medical schools, and make a lot of money. And, and once you realized that was not going to be your track, you were at a loss. And you had to find out what you wanted. And, 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 you had to lose, and, and to some extent, that quest has defined my life, right? I mean, if I had had a different approach to high school, I probably would have just, you know, not say just, but I would have had a very, I would have probably gone to that law school and been a partner at the law firm by now. I don't know if that would be better or worse. I don't. I can value. Not. I can't know that. But. And. And what also happened in, at, in that time, which I saw with a lot of my friends, this is high school yeah, 80s, is that they were radicalized by the environment, by the bands. I was not because I was radical to begin with, but that was really fascinating to me. And what kind of bands are we talking about? Well, I mean, the Dead Kennedys, mm-hmm. for example. You know, but also bands like Country Joe and the Fish, who still like you could go still go see Country Joe McDonald, right? He would still sing what became the Fish Cheer, but was originally the Fuck Cheer, right? You know, uh, don't get me, I don't give a damn. Next stop is Vietnam. You know, you could that that you know here, the '60s lasted well into the '80s, and and that exposed you to it. You could go to a you know I remember going to a a Nobody for President rally in 1984 in, in Golden Gate Park with Wavy Gravy, which could have been out of 1968, but it was 1984, and you could still go. So that was really. That made you think that this was bigger and more alive than it actually was. And in retrospect, we should be very grateful for that. Because the rest of the country thought Reagan was fucking the answer. You know? So, so we were on the right side. Yeah. We won that one, so to speak. So you weren't a punk rocker, like, 
right uh, like to take that ridiculous label but you were ex- saw a lot of bands you did see a lot of bands yeah. you did you were exposed I had, I mean I had long hair in high school right? yeah I mean so so to the extent that physical uh, I dressed crazy but I had long hair in high school um, so the bands that really made the Code of Honor very political punk rock band of the era MDC which was usually Millions of Dead Cops another very political punk band of the era the Avengers which by the early 80s weren't playing very much but were you know around and you heard the record the vinyl I remember I told this to Penelope going out to a party um, they had the record opening party but like by 83 their banner rate broken up basically but they finally got the pink album out right. and, and we go out there my friend Will who was a drummer you know, all these different bands. a lot of my friends played in bands I had zero I, I, had the, I had the presence of mind to know I had zero musical talent so I never tried to play in a band but I like you know bands so we, we you know we're trying to get out somewhere in Petrero Hill we take the 22 and then another bus and we're totally fucking lost and we're walking for a while and we get there finally and the party's over I mean, I'm not saying that as a metaphor. The party's over. And, and, and we're just totally disappointed. But I think I didn't have any cash. William bought a record, and, and the drummer signed it for them. And then, and then they had a keg of beer. And it was like half empty, but half, I mean, half full. And, then, and, they were, and we were 16 years old. And they're like, hey, you guys like beer? And we're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. So that was fun. So we just sat there drinking the beer, and William and the drummer in the band like talked about drumming. I was just drinking and kind of hanging out because I don't know anything about drumming. But, um, but those are some of the bands... Um, that, that we saw a lot uh, and then also you know I went to the Grateful Dead a lot in, in high school I saw a, a band called The Dinosaurs which was you know Spencer Dryden from The Airplane and, and Peter Album from Big Brother and the Holding Company and you know Merle Saunders and, just, and John Cipollina from Quicksilver Messenger Service so I, I was not wedded to one genre of music yeah. throughout that time and what other kind of venues uh, for music were, w- well, would on, you the on Broadway the Warfield uh there was a place I can't remember down by where the old Tower Records was, the San Francisco Civic Center, uh, which is now like the Bill, oh, Graham, Bill Graham Arena. Uh, the, I was just about to say anything that's still around. The, where the Warrior, Warfield, Warfield, where the where the Warriors play, uh, used to oh, play in Oakland. Right. Uh, where the A's used to play in Oakland. I saw the Clash there with the Who in 1982. Oh wow! And I remember uh, it was a day on the green, which was this big concert Bill Graham would do. Mm-hmm. And I remember going with a bunch of friends, and you know there were no assigned seats, just walking around. And at one point, my friend said I was completely out of my mind because I went to where the pitcher's mound was and I did, made a pitch. I didn't have a ball, but I like wound up like I was pitching the ball. And they were like, "Oh, okay, that's Lincoln." Like that's how obsessed I was, you know. Okay. Um, but but I went. So so those were the the venues, but also like a lot of like Golden Gate Park, mm-hmm. a lot, um, people's houses. Mm-hmm. You know, there was you know some place. I mean, I didn't. I never went to like the Temple Beautiful or the Deaf Club, but uh, you know, you'd be like some warehouse somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd get an address, and you know, I had one or two friends that were kind of pretty, uh, pretty uh, more more than know about where the bands were, and they'd be like, "Oh, let's just go," and you know, and and it was places that didn't have names, sometimes. didn't have names, just an address, you <laughs> yeah. know. So it was a lot of that, yeah, you know, over the years, bars and stuff. I mean, remember, we were too young to, to drink, and then right. and then, frankly, like, I spent a lot of evenings at Baker Beach, mm-hmm. like in high, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the freezing cold. Yeah, you know, that was a whole other experience. And then at Candlestick Park, you know, yeah. Yeah, so you're in New York and you're like, I'm going to write this book. Well, what, what, what happened? How, how did this all come about? Well, I'm fascinated by the political history of this city. And I'm fascinated because I believe this city's political history is more important than people realize, even here in San Francisco. And there have been a handful of good books written about the political history of San Francisco, but... I wanted to do something different. And, and really, this is the experience of being a San Franciscan living in New York, where 
in New York, if you can, you can find a book written any decade, any ethnic group, growing the experience of growing up, and in, in, it is overdetermined, overwritten, and it's not here, right. right? So I didn't want to write a memoir because who am I? But the three, uh, the kind of the three braids of this challah, if you will, to me are very relevant. One is one is the political history, and 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 really, what struck me is that. This year, 1978, is so seminally important in this city. And yet, when I talk to many people, all they want to talk about from 78 is the Giants. So <clears throat> I said, that's part of the story. And it really is, not just because I like baseball. It really is an important part of the story. And then, for me, bringing punk rock in was important for two reasons. One, I really believe, I think I show in the book, that punk rock in the late 70s put San Francisco back in a role of being a kind of interesting, avant-garde, progressive place. Because the summer of love was dead. And it was just like, instead of the Jefferson Airplane singing, you know, White Rabbit, you had the Jefferson Starship singing The Girl with the Faraway Eyes. And that's kind of enough said about what had happened to that scene, right? Right. right. So, I, and, and also, the hegemony of the baby boomer narrative about the history of San Francisco is really misleading. Because the Summer of Love was fun. I mean, I wasn't born yet, but up here it sounds fun. But I don't think it was important. Culturally, it was important. But I think politically, for forming this city, I don't know. And there's so, so what fascinated me is, how do we get from Barbara Gelato Moscone in this brutally tough mayoral race in 1975, Moscone being assassinated, who, and, 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 how, and what does that have to do with today? So that's, that's kind of how the ideas I started with. And then I came up with, with, if I just write a book about Jonestown, the assassinations, I'm competing with all these other books, with people who are closer to it. I may have different, I'm, I'm an academic. I can do political analysis. I can really good at analyzing text and teasing out theories, but I don't, wasn't there. And if I bring in the baseball, baseball is a great way to tell the story of a city in a year because it's over the course of a year. The calendar year works really well. And, and I, it is true that if the uh, year had ended October 31st rather than December 31st, the story would have been the Giants and that they didn't leave and that they had this great season and they set an attendance record, all that kind of thing, right? So... And, and so I thought if I can find a way to tell these three stories together, I can make an argument. And that's, that's kind of how I got to this idea. And, and because in the back of my head is why is my identity as a San Franciscan so, in my own view, so important in everything I do? Right? Why is it that like still in New York, I'm baffled by how right-wing the place is? Right? I mean, New York is, is, New York is filled with people who move there from somewhere else in America and think, oh my God, this is so great, it's so progressive. I moved to the Upper West Side of Manhattan and said, how did I ever get in such a right-wing neighborhood? Right. Right? No one <laughs> right. has that experience in New York, so right. that's a big part of who I am. And how did the city, and then looking at the city today, which is, you know, there's one critique that says it's all tech money, it's all too expensive, it's terrible, and the other says it's too left-wing, it's, you know, so it can't be both those things, but it right. is, but it is. So and it's not terrible, even though the values, the, the subjective terms out, that hybrid, to me, comes out of 78 and it comes out of the person of Dianne Feinstein mm -hmm. and would not have happened if the events had gone differently that year. Mm. So not just, I mean, everyone knows if you know anything about the city, this history of the city that, you know, Moscone was a, and I think actually not that many people know this, Moscone was a real progressive and his assassination brought in a mayor with much, much different policies. Right? But the one policy that she was kept was diversity. And we're done with this white backlash shit. And Feinstein gets credit for that. And while she doesn't get credit, in my mind, for development, 
for not paying attention to the needs of the neighborhoods, for being too pro-cop. Like, I don't support that. But she wasn't John Barbara Gelada. And when she came in, the city was done. We don't race bait in the city anymore in politics. There is no political figure in this city since John Barbara Gelada, who became really prominent, who race baited the way Rudy Giuliani did. No one wins an election by doing that anymore. Right. And they still were doing that in other cities into the 90s. Right. Right? And that's, I think, a lot to do with Feinstein. At the same time, this real progressive vision, which people had been organizing for for years and came together with Moscone's election, and, for the, and, and the morning he was going to get a majority on the Board of Supervisors, he got assassinated. And, 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 I want, and people know that story, but I wanted to put that story in a kind of broader context. One, to give a sense of what it was really like here. You know, because if you lived here in 78, no matter who you were, with a few exceptions, you were thinking about the Giants. Uh, not, not everyone, but, but many, many people, particularly people whose, whose stories don't get told. Right? The kind of ordinary, the kids, the seniors, the, the, the working class people who've been here for two generations. You know, if you're a, 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 uh, an angry anti-Moscone, you know, obsessive, sure, you might not be thinking about it. If you're a punk rocker for whom baseball is just like a, you know, that's different. And, and also, frankly, if you're, you know, a gay rights activist, this is just you're struggling, you're fully embedded in the movement. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people, this was the story. And it was a, it was a resurgent team. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the team had like... been, by way of background, I mean, the team had been terrible. They traded in between about the end of the 71 season, roughly speaking, and the end of the se- and midway through the 73 season, they traded or released or sold McCovey, Marshall, Perry, and Mays, right? So not just great players, and some of them are in the line, but the whole identity of the team. 74 to 75, they were just, they were bad, nobody was coming. 76, they're really, I mean, it's all in the book, but they're almost sold to Toronto. They're out that. the door to Toronto. Right. And spring training of 78 rolls around, and the stories in the paper are where the Giants going to play next year. Mm-hmm. You know, can they stay in San Francisco? One of the teams has to go. And they turned it around. They drew 1.7 million, more than a million more than the previous season. There's the second highest in franchise history, going back to when they were playing in New York, you know, in 19th century. So it's really a groundbreaking resurgence. Yeah, it didn't last. I mean, the, the, the sad part of the story is that it ends with them finishing in third place, hence the title of the book. They were bad again in 79 and 80, but it, it sent a message to a new generation of fans that this mm-hmm. can be your team. Because up until then, all you ever heard about the Giants was it's too bad you missed Willie Mays. And that was pretty boring. You know, between hearing... It's too bad you missed Willie Mays, and hearing it's too bad you missed the Summer of Love. My generation got a lot of that, and it, right. and it really framed our view of the city, and that's why I wanted to kind of bring it back in, like yeah. bring our perspective in. Right. Where, you know, Vita Blue and Jack Clark are important players, and the punk rock scene was an important cultural movement. Mm-hmm. You know, not just an adjunct to the Summer of Love and Willie Mays. San Francisco of today, I mean, this was a really interesting week for you to be here. Yeah. With everything that's happening, I mean, but um, <laughs> anything at all while we're still rolling. The challenge that we have in San Francisco of today is to recognize, I mean, I was, San Francisco has always been in rebellion against the people who, who are coming here now. And we have to balance that visceral reaction with the real concerns we have. And, and that's a challenge. Um, but I also, you know, when I come here and, you know, over the course of a week here, you know, I'm not a tourist. Like, I mean, I'm in lots of different neighborhoods. And there are moments when I look around and say, where am I? And there are moments where I look around and say, this could be 1975. And, and that is, and I think maybe all cities are like that. So I'm not convinced that, now, I don't pay rent here. You know, I don't have, to write it, so I don't have that moment of writing a check once a month saying, what the fuck's going on here? So from that perspective, I, I understand that. But this is still, in many ways, an extraordinary city. And I, I don't know, I mean, I... The politics are, are, are complicated, right? But Chesapeake didn't get elected DA. 
What he's doing is extraordinary and way ahead of, of you know, what we're doing. Cy Vance is like taking bribes from the Trump family, for Christ's sake, right? I mean, it's really different. So there is a lot that is very... I mean, London Breed is, is another dying Feinstein, as has been every mayor since Feinstein, except for Art Agnos, and that's a real point I make in the book. But, but there is a moment, there is an interesting movement here. It is going to be different. You are, the urban ecology does not allow for a punk rock movement here. It's just too damn expensive. But it's, I, I think there's a lot going on. I think it's a fascinating place, and, and it's still got that vibe. And you can't put your finger on it, but it really still does. And if you don't believe that, go somewhere else. I mean, really, those places don't. That was Lincoln Mitchell. Join us next week when we'll get to know writer and supporter of the arts, P. Siegel. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography for this episode, production, and hosting are by me, Jeff Hunt. You can find us online at storiedsf.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. If that's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do us a quick favor and rate and review the show. And if you have any feedback for us or you just want to say hi, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks a lot for listening.